In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. With his zippered cardigans, canvas sneakers, and handmade puppets, Mr. Rogers was a pioneer in the early days of educational TV for children. It is probably safe to say that there are very few of you here who could not sing along that very famous song that opened every new show, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And as he finished tying his sneakers and zipping his cardigan, he would sing, Won't you be my neighbor? Fred Rogers of children's television fame was a good neighbor. But the lawyer's question to Jesus in our gospel parable this morning, who is my neighbor, is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. Who is our neighbor? In today's gospel, Jesus is confronted by a legal expert, sent specifically to test Jesus on the orthodoxy of his views. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's an interesting beginning to the story. A lawyer looking for a loophole. Jesus said to the lawyer, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And the lawyer correctly answers from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. This lawyer was obviously a devout and intelligent man. Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, Luke tells us, The lawyer, being tempered by a hesitant heart, pressed Jesus even further. And who is my neighbor? In other words, how exclusive must my circle be? Who can I legitimately exclude, exercise, or eradicate from neighbor status? Then Jesus told one of the best-known stories in all of literature, the parable of the Good Samaritan. To imagine how startling this parable was to those who first heard it would be an understatement to say the least. For not only did the righteous priest and Levite come off looking incredibly bad and unfaithful by avoiding the wounded victim, but the hero of our story was a despised Samaritan. There was nothing good about any Samaritan in the strict Jewish mindset of that day. Without getting lost in the details, Samaritans were those Jews who survived or who were left behind during the exile and who eventually intermarried with Gentiles and others. Samaritans had separated themselves regionally and religiously from Jerusalem and from all temple worship. Because of this separation, the entire population of Samaria was considered ritually unclean and impure by all Jerusalem-centered Jews. Today, of course, being a Samaritan has positive meaning. Many hospitals and ministries are named after the Good Samaritan. Even laws have been written under the name Good Samaritan to protect those who unselfishly deliver, nurture, care, and render assistance. But back then, the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans was at least as bad as the feeling Jews and Arabs have towards each other today. In the meantime, the listening lawyer knows immediately after hearing the word Samaritan 
that this man is not his neighbor. The response of the Samaritan, however, to the plight of the wounded man is indeed extraordinary and godly. His emotional response of pity immediately results in action. After giving emergency medical care and transport, he spends the night at the inn with the injured man and then leaves two denarii with the innkeeper. And that's amount equivalent to three weeks of room and board. And in a final act of grace, the Samaritan promises to return and pay whatever expenses have been incurred. Then Jesus turned the question back on the lawyer. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer couldn't wiggle out of this one. He couldn't even grasp the concept of a Samaritan being good, nor even say the word. Notice the lawyer's response, quote, the one who showed him mercy, unquote. Jesus then said again to him, go and do likewise. That's powerful. It's also disturbing. I'm not going to ask you to hold up your hand if you have ever passed by someone who was in trouble or asking for money and later thought of this familiar parable of our Lord. But how many sinners do we have here today? You can raise your hand on that one. Look around you. Those that aren't raising their hand are lying. Now they are one. We've all done it, haven't we? For a host of good reasons. At least they sounded good at the time. I've given the same reasons myself. He'll just spend it on booze or drugs, or it might be too dangerous to stop, or I've got hospital calls to make. But back in the deep recesses of our brains, the story remains, and it also reminds us. We've all been there, haven't we? And unless we've hardened our hearts so completely that little compassion remains, we all confess that there have been times we've acted more like the priest and the Levite than we've acted like the good Samaritan. My purpose today, though, isn't to increase our guilt level or to ignite our would've, could've, should'ves reflections. Instead, it is to celebrate this much-loved story, for it says much more about the foundations of our faith. The heart of authentic faith is love. When Jesus asked the lawyer what is written in the law, the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and your neighbor is yourself. That is the very center of our faith. It was the very center of Jewish faith. The great commandment was not something new that Jesus was seeking to introduce into Jewish faith and practice. It was there already, and it is how we are to live today. Beloved, there is no greater symbol today of the greatest commandment to love than the crucifix. The crucifix itself, that vertical beam, represents loving God with your whole heart, your whole soul, and your, all of your strength. And the horizontal beam represents loving your neighbor as yourself. And where they intersect is the heart of the cross, where we're to live, where our love for God meets our love for our neighbor. Love is particularly at the heart of Christian faith. 
Love is at the center of faith for many people in the world, but it is uniquely so for Christians. Why? I do not know of any other God in any other religion who has scars on his hands and feet. Do you? Scars from having hung on that cross. And why did Christ go to the cross? Ultimately because of love. That's amazing. Were we deserving? No, quite the opposite. It was because we were helpless. Romans 3 says, quote, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were like the stranger lying beside the road, beaten and bloody and about to breathe our last breath, and God saw us lying there and had mercy on us. How much does God love us? That much. Jesus' love is the hope of the world. It's amazing. We still live in a world of ancient hatreds, where cultures, countries, tribes, and races clash, where an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is normative. One only needs to watch the recent evening news to see that. Only when we truly love God and truly love our neighbor can there be any hope for the world. When Jesus asked the lawyer which one of these was a neighbor to the one who was robbed, he was asking that to us all, to you and to me. The answer is anyone who needs our love, anyone who needs the love of Jesus, regardless of their race, color, creed, or culture. Love trumps all hatred and bias. And as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we know that ultimately love is the answer to the world's most profound needs. The love of Jesus is the hope of the world. And it is the hope for each and every one of us. And it is my hope for each and every one of you as I leave you and say goodbye today. It has been a sacred honor for me to serve the Lord by serving you. I'm most grateful to the bishop, the staff, the vestry, and each and every one of you for your fellowship, your friendship, and for the privilege of serving you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Carol and I will always consider St. Matthew's our church home and you as our family, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. My hope and prayer for you from Paul, writing to the Galatians, is that you continue the good work that God has begun in you through Christ Jesus. That you continue to nurture, care, pray, and love one another. Bearing one another's burdens, and so fulfilling the law of Christ. And finally, beloved, I echo my goodbye to you from Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, saying, quote, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We will miss you. We love you. God's richest blessings to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.